Ag State of Mind, Episode 4. Welcome to Ag State of Mind, a podcast that examines the stresses affecting producers of agriculture and how to alleviate these stresses and improve farmers' lives. In this podcast, we discuss openly the mental health crisis that is occurring in the agricultural community and what we can do to help turn it around. Now here's your host, Jason Meadows. Greetings and welcome to this episode of Ag State of Mind. I'm your host, Jason Meadows. Today on the show, we talk to Susan Harris-Broomfield from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. She is an extension educator who specializes in rural health and wellness. Um, We talk a little bit about the work she is doing in Nebraska, the struggles that are occurring there. As many of you know, this spring, there was some pretty devastating floods that people will be recovering from for a long time. So we talk about a little bit about what is going up there. And then we talk about a little bit of her work in sleep deprivation. It's something I know I myself have have struggled with and not even really realized it. And I know those of us in the ag industry struggle with this mightily. So we talk a little bit about how sleep deprivation affects our overall health and some tips and tricks on how we can overcome that. And I want to take this opportunity to remind everyone that we, the Ag State of Mind podcast, has moved over to the Global Ag Network. So if you are subscribed via podcast mediums like Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, that should not be affected. However, if you choose to listen to us online on your computer, just head over to the globalagnetwork.com and you should be able to find us there in their providers page. So, uh, Without anything else, here is my conversation with Susan Harris-Broomfield from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Susan, how are you doing today? I'm pretty great. How about yourself? Good. How's the weather up there in Nebraska today? You know what? This is my favorite time of year. It's cool. It's sunny. It's absolutely perfect. Well, I'm happy for you because that's not been the case here in Missouri. It's been pretty miserable up until about this last couple of days. I think Honestly, our September has been probably 10 to 15 degrees warmer than our August was. So uh, it's been it's been a little bit, (laughs) little bit uh, hot and pretty dry, too. So, uh, you know, not things we're used to in September. So uh, I'm hoping that'll uh, year. It's just messed up, isn't it? It really is. And I, you know, I think that's a that's a common thing that's. I think that's happening everywhere. I don't think it's just in the Midwest. I just think it's everywhere. And uh, I don't know. It's just been a strange, strange year. It's It was a terrible wet winter. It was a wet, long summer. And then now we're in fall and it feels like July or, or it did. It's starting to cool down here finally. So uh, um, I'm thankful for that. So um, if you don't mind... Would you mind giving me just a little bit of your background, who you are, and, uh, you know, whether or not you do have a background in ag? Well, my name is Susan Harris-Broomfield, and I am the Rural Health, Wellness, and Safety Educator for Nebraska Extension, for University of Nebraska-Lincoln Extension. And I am the only health, wellness, and safety educator in the state, so it's kind of fun just doing a little bit of everything I don't have specific ag background, except that everyone surrounding me, it seems like, had some sort of relationship to agriculture. For a while, my husband had cows and helped with his dad's farm. 
And my mom currently owns and runs a, a buffalo ranch in Wyoming. So it has been around me growing up. My grandfather had cattle and I have lived near and dear to the agriculture life. But uh, this is my first job that really encompasses specifically rural ag life. So did you grow up in Nebraska? I did. I grew up in McCook, Nebraska. That's where I've lived most of my life. And I now live in Minden. I've been here for three years and travel the state a lot, which I love. So what part of the state is that? Minden is in the southern central area. We're just about 23 miles southeast of Kearney. Okay. I'm I'm semi-familiar. The only places I'm really, like, I can tell you where are, are I can tell you where Omaha and Lincoln are, and then I can tell you where the tiny town of Erickson is. Um, Why Erickson? I'm curious. Well, that is where we, my dad, over many years had a relationship, still does to an extent, with the Pitzer Ranch. Um, My dad raised quarter horses for my entire time growing up. Um, He bought two different studs from them um, about 30 years apart. And, uh, you know, we we had a pretty good relationship with them for several, several years. In fact, my uh, my dad went straight to the Pitzer Ranch and bought a stud right off the farm. Everyone back here in Missouri thought he was crazy, <laughs> and uh, but he ended ended up bringing in a lot of a lot of income and a lot of a lot of horses came to our little town in Cuba, Missouri to breed to that stud. So, uh, wow, yeah, it's pretty uh, pretty interesting story, really. But uh, um, yeah, very cool. So you say you bounce around the state. Is that is that doing different educations for the university? It is uh, because I encompass anything that involves health, wellness, and safety. You can imagine what that <laughs> consists of. My main project for the last year and a half has been a program that I named ATV Aware. And my partners and I came up with this program where we have a trailer that I haul around behind a pickup all over the state. And on this trailer, we have a custom-built ATV simulator. It's an actual ATV all-terrain vehicle. Sorry for those who don't know. It's a four-wheeler. And it's connected to the trailer uh, with a hydraulic system so that I can get out this joystick and put someone up on the ATV and control which way it moves as if it's moving along hills, downhill, uphill, or on side hills. And we talk about center of gravity and we talk about why it's so important to lean uphill and you know why the tires aren't built for roads, why they're only for dirt and, and other terrain. And I have been to, I believe the number is pushing 90 events in the past year and a half with that thing. So yes, all over the state and other states with ATV Aware. That one's slowing down because my grant funding is gone for that one. But uh, now we're picking up with a lot of mental health workshops, I do sleep deprivation education all over the state. And those are my main babies, my main passions. Very interesting. I, w- I want to talk just a minute about this ATV aware thing. So basically what you're saying, it's kind of like a, a mechanical bull on a, on a four-wheeler platform. Yes. <laughs> That's kind of what I'm envisioning anyway. Yeah. Contrary to what your visions are telling you, I don't try to buck people off. That's not... <laughs> 
<laughs> well, that's it's a good thing you're in that position and not me, because that's what I would be trying to do. I'd be trying to throw people <laughs> off of it. So uh, it's you're you're a better person than I am. Yeah, yeah. Well, even if I wanted to, even if even if I had those intentions, the guy who custom made this for me in Iowa said, you know, it it, it was moving way too fast. We had to slow it down before we give it to you. So <laughs> it wouldn't even have the worst thing that's ever happened to anyone on it is a kid's glasses fell off and they didn't even break. And when I say kid, I don't allow kids up there. You have to be 16, 16 or sure. older. In Nebraska, it's actually, yeah, you have to have a, a driver's license in Nebraska. A lot of people aren't aware of that. And they put their, you know, they put their eight-year-old kids on there to go do chores. And it's just so dangerous. The statistics are insanely on the side of accidents and deaths at that age. They're, they, they are dangerous machines. I remember not being much older than that, um, having a pretty serious accident when I was a kid. And, you know, of course that was, you know, close to 30 years ago, but, uh, I came, I walked away fine from it, but, uh, it could have went the other way pretty easily. Mm -hmm. Um, so you were a, a kid on an adult size machine, correct? That is correct. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's when it happens. The kids yes. on the kid size machines are okay. It's when the, when you put the kids on the adult size machine that right. are going to be problems. Right. So you you speak about this this mental health training. Can you get a little more specific into that? What does that entail? Who are you talking to and what are the type of things that you're you're discussing with folks? Sure. The mental health words are difficult in Nebraska. I think we are a tough bunch. We have a stigma regarding stress and mental health, especially the words mental health. I think a lot of people associate those words with mental illness, when in fact, you know, mental health is just like physical health. We need to keep our mental selves healthy, just like we keep our, our physical selves healthy. And we did, three of us from Extension were sent to Michigan State University, where they have a program designed to reach farmers. And then they also have a program designed to reach ag professionals like bank lenders, FSA people, people who work directly with farmers and ranchers. And that one is called communicating with farmers under stress. So we went and we did the mental health first aid all day training first. And then we, we did the two day training on these programs through Michigan state. And the reason we did that is because gosh, it's so much easier than reinventing the wheel and creating our own wheel. You know, they have this fabulous program. They're willing to train people how to do it and give it to other states. And so that's what we do in partnership with them. We take this program called Communicating with Farmers Under Stress. And we've had it in 14 locations across the state so far with four more on the schedule. And, and I'm sure we'll keep adding to that schedule. And we just talk to groups, a lot of bankers, about how to recognize stress in ourselves and in other people, because it often looks different. The way I stress out isn't going to be this, the way that you stress out. So they learn a lot about their own selves and their own stress first. And then we talk about recognizing it in other people, learning about triggers and identifying signs of it. And then we talk about helpful techniques and responding to that stress, uh, how to approach people who might not be coping well, what to say, and especially where to go for help. We have a lot of good resources in Nebraska, and that's something that many people aren't aware of is those resources. So I'm curious to know, when did this start? When were you 
Um, when did this come to the attention of the people at UNL that this is something that needs to start being addressed? How long has this been in practice? Well, our timing is impeccable because we we started a work group on mental wellness back in December. And in January, three of us went to Michigan during a blizzard. It wasn't, wasn't good, but we made it and we did our training and came back with these programs in January. And so we knew mental health and, and stress was already an issue in Nebraska, not because of blizzards yet, but because of economical hard times and financial woes and, and things that people were dealing with other than weather. And then the weather came along. So when that happened, boy, we even revved up more and formed another team that went to Atlanta to what's called an uh, impact collaborative summit to start a process to create a project that we can take back to Nebraska and take to our flood stricken communities and teach them about dealing with stress as well. So that's another one that, that we have going on too. So all of this timing has come up on me, you know, even during the ATV aware time. And so it was a very, very busy year, but it's all good stuff and it's all necessary stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I've talked about this before, but mental health and mental disorders, like you say, are not the same thing. And it's interesting that you say that because I, that's something I've been really trying to talk about a lot lately is, you know, we all have mental health. It's on a spectrum and it can go up and down from time to time. And, uh, you know, it's important that we be aware of that. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough thing to talk about and it's a tough thing to get a cohort like farmers, like ranchers to get to even recognize because of their independence, their, their strong will. Um, because, you know, the, we've talked about this, there's this stigma associated with mental health that it's something it is, is taboo. That's something that is not necessarily feel like people is real. I think, and I, I, I talk about this in saying like, we don't think mental health is real because we can't measure it. You, you can't put a blood pressure cuff on mental health. You can't use your stethoscope to listen to somebody's mental health. So that's why it's so, so important to talk to people and get them to talk back to you. It's, it's incredibly difficult, but it's also incredibly effective once that barrier is broken down. It sure is. And I can tell you a story about a gentleman who he was in his seventies and I was, he was asking what I do for extension. And I told him that this is our latest project is mental wellness around Nebraska. And we, we work on mental health and he looked confused and he said, so where do you find these mental people? <laughs> and I said, well, they're you and they're me and they're everybody. And we all have to work on our mental health, just like we work on our physical health. If we can sort of frame it with, with that in mind, you know, there, there are those two kinds of health and we have to work on both of them. Yeah, it's just, you know, just because you don't have high blood pressure yet doesn't mean you should go eat a bunch of salt tomorrow. You know what I mean? And it's kind of the <laughs> same same type of 
you know, feeling toward mental health. Um, but it's, it's, it's just not, we're just not there yet as far as people recognizing it. And, uh, you know, you, and I always use the example of when, you know, you go talk to a counselor or uh, a therapist and you said, oh no, that's only for, and then I'm going to use air quotes here, crazy people. And that's, that couldn't be further from the truth. You know, people go to talk to counselors to prevent, it getting any further, or that's at least what they should do. That should be a first step, you know, and I think you guys, and you guys, I think what you're doing is, it sounds to me like you're even taking a step even before getting them to counselors, um, just talking to everyday people who are involved in their lives. Yes, exactly. We recently at Husker Harvest Days did a survey of 471 people, um, their stresses and what causes them stress and what they do about it and that kind of thing. And their solution to it definitely wasn't counselors that rated really low on the scale. Um, can you guess what, what the one was toward the top Alcohol. for farmers and ranchers, especially alcohol was in there. It wasn't toward the top, but work, oh, you know, yeah. a lot of people in this area, they, they, uh, they have a work ethic and when uh-huh. they're stressed, they go out and work it off. That's how they deal with it. And they do, you know, they, a lot of them said they do talk to friends and family. So that's good. But going to a doctor and going to a counselor, both ranked very low on the scale. And we know that we know they don't go out and do that. So yes, we are trying to promote ways of dealing with it that we know that maybe they can handle like um, getting together with neighbors. And, you know, that's kind of going to be our campaign is neighbor to neighbor and just socializing and not withdrawing from society when you're feeling stressed. Um, We hope to find champions in communities that are going to be somebody who everybody knows and somebody who's willing to say, yeah, I have stress going on in my life sometimes and it's tough and I know you do too. And, you know, just that peer support is what we're trying to do a lot of. We bond. It seems like we bond over, And I don't think it's not that we seems like we do. We do. We bond over our troubles. We bond over, you know, the the things we struggle with. And, you know, I'm I'm sure there's empirical evidence out there somewhere for that. But, you know, I I, I wouldn't I don't know where to find it. But I I know that it's true because I've lived it. I've known what it's like to talk about whatever stresses. And, uh, you know, when you feel that you know, you feel alone when you don't talk to anybody, obviously. So just knowing that you're not the only one that struggles with this sort of thing is just good therapy in itself, I believe. And like, and I think, you know, just, just knowing that you're not alone prevents it from, from escalating. I, I think. Right. Very much so. Empathy means a lot. And and knowing that there are other people with struggles similar to yours can alleviate some of that pressure on you that you're, you're the only one in the world dealing with it. Like I have a colleague who did a survey on how farmers and ranchers deal with their stress as well. And storytelling, like you said, talking about it, but especially storytelling came up as the number one way that they socialize. They like to tell stories. So um, having conversations, having stories, if we can just sort of integrate into these conversations talk about stress and depression and how to recognize it and what to do about it, how to cope. That'll be a step forward. So how is this received 
you talked about the gentleman who, you know, was asking, where do you find these quote unquote mental people? How is it being received by, by the folks who you are teaching? Like you said, the lenders, the, maybe the seed salesmen, the veterinarians, the people who are coming from off the farm to the farmers. How, how is it being received by those folks? Very, very well. All of our evaluations have been positive. I have not seen a negative one yet. And all of them come away having learned something useful. Um, One of them even emailed me saying, uh, you know, no sooner had I left the workshop did I have this call from a complainant who was saying that her neighbor had used pesticide and it was doing stuff to her garden and she was upset and she, you could just hear the anger in her voice. And he said, it really calmed me knowing that I knew what to say. He, you know, he, he wouldn't have known what to say before, except that maybe she was just grouchy. But he said, you know, I, I recognize some stress in your voice. You know, let's talk about some other things. And, and finally, he got around to getting her to talk about how her father has been sick. And she's been stressing about that. And when he went to check her garden, he found out it wasn't the pesticides, it was something else. But she was just so stressed about about other things in her life that she was sort of putting it off on him in this other situation. So he recognized that and he knew how to respond and he knew what to say. And he emailed me right away and he said, thank you so much. And then he contacted his boss and now we're going to do a workshop for his whole company. So it's been a really good thing. That's great. That's a... Wow, it's nice to see your work, you know, really come into fruition. I know in I, I've I've attended some mental health first aid myself, and uh, you know, I think a lot of times we we trigger people inadvertently. You know, we we say some things that are sometimes maybe a little self defensive. And we don't realize that, you know, what we're saying can truly affect someone much differently than we may think it will affect them, you know. And another thing I think is to actually recognize, let the people who you are talking to recognize that you know that they are suffering, that you know something is wrong with them. Because I think one of the biggest things with mental health is that, People don't think people will believe them. People don't think, you know, just because we have this stigma with that. And for just people to to recognize that, yes, they are suffering and yes, they are having a problem is is very powerful and very, very productive. It is. It's, it's all about that empathy. And we do teach to be empathetic and not sympathetic, you know, and and not to say, well, at least blah, blah, blah. And, and try to make it seem less stressful than it is. But it's just recognizing it and saying, you know, even if you don't know what to say, just saying, I'm so glad you told me about this. I'm glad you shared that with me. And how can I help you deal with it? You know, things like that. It's not that you have to have an answer. We're not teaching people to be counselors. We're just teaching people that it's, it's okay to have this stress and, and it's okay to approach someone who has it. and here are the resources you can give them once you do talk about it. I think that's that's a big one right there, confrontation. Nobody likes confrontation. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, I like using the words first aid with it because that is what it is, you know. You know, what is, the, you know, somebody gets hurt at a baseball game, you know, a doctor's not always going to be there and, you know, 
a doctor, you know, just somebody, a coach or somebody wouldn't be able to reset a dislocated shoulder or something like that, but they could put ice on it. And I kind of think that's kind of the same type of thing we're dealing with here in teaching people about mental health first aid is, you know, we don't, like you said, we don't expect you to be counselors. We just want to encourage you to say, say the right things. And it, you said that, um, what you said about people, when I went to mental health first aid, they say one of the worst thing you can say is at least you don't XXX or at least this is good or, you know, cause that downplays the problem that they're having. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, I mean, in our mind, you know, we can see a situation, but then say, at least, you know, it's easy for us to say, at least, you know, you still have a home or at least something else, you know, but that's not what the folks are fo- that are hurting are focused on. Um, they're focused on their problem. And if you are truly wanting to help someone, you have to be focused on it too. Exactly. And it, it, it is, it's, it's CPR for the brain. So I know you're not in the flooded area, but I do want to talk about the little bit about the spring floods that happened up there um, in 2019 and uh, what kind of stuff is coming out from that. And are you seeing anybody specifically that is struggling or heard stories? Um, What's it like up there? It's a mess and it just keeps coming. You know, we thought we had seen the worst of it and then there was another one and then there was another one. And then in the panhandle, we had a tunnel collapse that caused all kinds of issues with irrigation up in that area. So we had blizzards, we had flooding, we had the tunnel collapse, and we had more flooding. Um, Bridges are out. People are driving insane number of miles just to get to work or get to where they need to go because the bridges are out, the roads are out. I have talked with people who watched their entire herd of cattle wash away. And even though I, you know, with every story that I've heard from people, what what really gets me is, is just so typical Nebraska is all of them say, you know, this happened to me and I'm just shocked. But then they'll say, but my neighbor had it so much worse. Here's what happened to my neighbor. And so they downplay what happened to them. You know, I lost my entire herd of cattle, but, but this, this happened to my neighbor and it's worse. And we've seen a lot of examples of reaching out, helping a lot of assistance coming in, even from other states, you know, a, a lot of rebuilding going on. But when it keeps raining and it keeps coming, that makes it even more difficult. And I think now, you know, there are stages to disaster recovery. And I think now, you know, we've passed the heroic phase, we've passed the honeymoon phase where everybody's like busy bees working around getting things done. And now I feel like we're mostly in this disillusionment phase and somewhat in the reconstruction phase in some places, but a lot of it is disillusionment still because, you know, the rest of the world is kind of back to business as usual. And then these people who were affected are just left with nothing or with very little or with trying to rebuild and ensure there, there is some help out there and things from FEMA going on. But, uh, it's, it's kind of a depressing situation all over the state. Yeah. I, well, first of all, I can't imagine what that's like. Um, I live in the Ozarks of Missouri and, uh, 
in my little piece of the world, flooding, at least on that level, is just not something we deal with. It's just, it just doesn't happen here. It happens, you know, down the road from us a little ways, but right here, it just doesn't happen. So I honestly, I, I would like to be empathetic, but I, I'm not sure I really can be because I really don't know what that's like. I, and I, I can only imagine the disaster and the heartache that those people are going through. And, uh, you know, they, they've honest, obviously been in my thoughts and prayers over this last, you know, several months. But um, I heard somewhere where it's, and I, this may or may not be true, but where it takes a catastrophic flood to that level takes up to nine years to recover from. That is absolutely true because it has taken off topsoil. It has taken, you know, things from farms and ranches that can't be recovered. It'll take years to, to recover physically and financially and everything else. And what you said about uh, being empathetic and, and thinking about people and all that, and it's hard to imagine it is so true. Um, and one lady that I talked to who was affected and she had some loss and things going on on her farm, but she said to me, you know, there's one thing that changed us as people with this event. She said, now when I hear about any disaster anywhere in the world or anywhere in this country, she said, if we can, we are going to go help because we understand now what it's like to be the victims. And so that's kind of like you said, we, you and I can't fathom what it's like to be a victim, but once you are a victim, you get it. And you understand how important it is to go out there and try to help, try to do something. I don't want to, you know, beat my chest or wave the hat in the air, but as far as people taking care of themselves and others like them, you know, people in the ag community are as good or better than that than anybody I've I've ever seen. I'll give you just a quick example of that is when they had the the fires in southern Kansas. Was that two years ago? The the uh, oh there I I know it gardeners in in Ashland Kansas they got burnt and lost a whole lot of cattle, um, but oh, yeah. there was there were I know from my little area here in uh, South Central Missouri there was a convoy of I think oh up to fifty trucks and trailers hauling them hay hauling fencing equipment hauling panels water tanks. All stuff that was donated to people who lived, you know, hundreds of miles away because I think because they would appreciate it if if it happened to them and, you know, the tables were turned. And that is a powerful resource that I I can't even really, you know, put it into words how, how wonderful it is to have a whole industry that supports one another like that when when times are are so tough. Right. I agree. I, they are one of a kind. And again, that work ethic comes in and they, they do, they just support each other. There, there was a time, I think after things had been coming in donations and trucks and things had been arriving in Nebraska and from across the state, um, it it did get to a point where they didn't know what to do with things. You know, maybe they were getting semis full of water bottles with nowhere to put them because people were just showing up. So I would like to encourage anybody who does want to go help and do something like that to call ahead, plan ahead, see who needs it, see where it needs to go, um, see if it is needed mostly because it, it came to a point where 
everyone was saying, you know what, cash is just the best thing to do now because then we know what it can be used for. You know, that would be more productive, more efficient than a a trailer full of toilet paper that's just going to sit there and not get unpacked or used. So just something to consider if you if you do want to be like the lady that I talked to and go help out somewhere, um, definitely listen to what their needs are. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm glad you shared that because, uh, you know, efficiency in these situations is is key. And uh, I think it's something that, you know, people just don't realize, you know, you can have all of something in the in the world. And if you don't have another thing, like you said, uh, water bottles or toilet paper, you know, it, it it's not all that helpful, even though, you know, the thought is obviously there. So it's important that, right. you know, it, it's a coordinated effort. So I'm glad you mentioned that. All right. I'll, I'll appreciate it nonetheless. Sure. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course it is. But, uh, you know, we'd obviously rather be efficient or as efficient as possible. Something we talked about, and I know you want to talk about, and I want to give you ample time to talk about it, is your passion, your, I guess it's a passion project of yours in dealing with sleep deprivation and how that can affect our health. So uh, I want to give you enough time to talk about that here today. Yeah, sleep deprivation walks hand in hand with stress. I think, as you know, probably it seems like when we are stressed, we tend to not sleep as well. So I imagine there are a lot of people in Nebraska not sleeping well for these past several months. And what people don't understand is when they think about health and wellness, they think about physical activity and nutrition because we're always promoting physical activity and nutrition. Those are the two things you need to be healthy. But what really is the umbrella over everything involving health in our lives is sleep. And people need to understand that it just affects our bodies in so many ways. It affects our muscle health, our nerves, our organ function, our metabolism, our immune system, our hormone balance. And especially it affects the function of our brain. And there's this process called consolidation where If you don't get the sleep that you need every night, your ability to remember and to learn things doesn't cement itself into your brain. So super important. You know, we, as college students, we may have stayed up and pulled all-nighters to study. (laughs) And wow, that's not a good thing to do. I I know now because studies have shown that um, you just retain a whole lot more if you sleep on it. That's where that term comes from, sleep on it. So super important to get adequate quality sleep. And so I do this program called Sleepless in Nebraska, and I've done it in other states too, where I call it something else. And um, it's all about how sleep affects our bodies and why it's a public health problem officially now and what we need to do about it. And I offer 30 of my best sleep tips and tricks. And it's just a program that everyone can relate to. It seems like, you know, I I have had a few people say, yeah, I sleep fine. But for the most part, uh, this program has something for everybody when it comes to getting better sleep. So how much sleep is enough sleep? I think that's the million dollar question. The million dollar question. Well, in most people, it should be seven to eight hours in most adults. Some people, a few people, the rare ones can get away with five or six hours and they're, they're just fine. Smaller children, young children, of course, babies to to small children need way more hours than we need, you know, maybe 10 to 12 hours. 
adolescents need, I think the average is 9.25 hours of sleep every night. And teenagers also need, you know, nine, 10 hours a night. And herein lies a problem in our society. Our teenagers are so overlooked and, and with their devices all the time. And most of them are reporting not getting that much sleep or anywhere close to that much sleep. And it's hurting their brains. It's hurting their bodies. It's, it's um, compromising their safety. It's, it's a real problem. And it is for us too, as we age and we, we're not sleeping. You know, people say, oh, I only got a few hours last night, but I'm going to sleep in this weekend. Well, the problem with that is it, it's not like a bank. You can't make right. up for your sleep yet later. You know, once it's gone, it's gone. You need it every single night. And sure, there are some nights when we're not going to get as much sleep as we should, but we need to keep it as consistent as possible. And one of the most interesting tips, and it's my number one tip, is to get up at the same time every morning. When I asked, I interviewed several experts for this program, and I asked all of them, what's the number one takeaway that my audiences should know from my program? And every single one of them, surprisingly to me anyway, said, get up at the same time every day. You know, we always talk about, oh, go to bed at the same time every night, make it a routine, go to bed, go to bed. But, you know, as one of my experts said, he said, if you're not sleepy, don't force yourself to try to go to sleep because then you're just going to lay there and get frustrated with yourself. But it is super important to get up at the same time, expose yourself to daylight. And that tells your body, okay, this is the time to be awake. And then it helps set that circadian clock in your body so that you're going to get up at the same time every day and and hopefully go to bed at about the same time every night. So is this something that you are doing just with people as a whole or are you are you focusing on this with farmers or um, is it just just everybody in Nebraska or everybody in, in whatever state? Yeah, everybody in Nebraska. I have talked to all kinds of groups. I have done a lot of conference sessions, especially women's conferences. They love this session. <laughs> I have recently done some middle school and high school sessions where it's not at all a PowerPoint. It's nothing like a lecture. It's it's a an online interactive game called Kahoot. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It's a great way to, to teach and to have your audience interact. So they're interacting with their phones and they answer the questions via their phone and they compete against each other. So it is it's fun for high schoolers and they learn a lot. They learn things about sleep that they had no idea about before. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's been fun mostly because I'm teaching things that nobody knows kind of like the ATV safety. People just get on them and ride them and they don't know a lot of things about center of gravity and why you shouldn't ride them here and there, why you should only have one person. They don't know that they're just told not to, and they just do it anyway because they don't know why, but it's, when you learn why, um, maybe it can start changing your behaviors. I'm also a healthcare professional. I'm a pharmacist. So, uh, you know, I see this sleep uh, as almost kind of like the last frontier in a way of how we can better manage our health because I really think we take it for granted that, you know, sleep is more of a luxury than a necessity sometimes, especially in America in general. You know, we wear it as a a badge of honor that, oh, well, we only got three or four hours of sleep, but hey, I'm back at it today. And, uh, you know, that can have some uh, pretty significant, and I'm going to be the first to tell you, I used to share that mindset. 
honestly, until about this year, I was a, typically a person that got five to six hours of sleep and was proud of the fact because I felt like I got more done. But in reality, I was so much less efficient because my body was so drained and I was compensating with caffeine and, right. you know, not as a result of being tired, I wasn't eating as well. And I wasn't, you know, I didn't have the energy to exercise and, uh, it's funny that you talk about the women, women loving this thing, because this was, this has been, we've been 10 years, my wife and I almost 10, 10 years next month, we'll be married. And this is something we have constantly bickered about how important sleep was. And of course she was right. And I was the one It took me about nine and a half years. I was just about ready to compliment you for, for figuring it out yourself, but it was. Yeah, right. <laughs> Get it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. I'm, I I figure nothing out on my own. <laughs> <laughs> well, being a pharmacist, I'm curious what you think about Benadryl and sleeping pills labeling themselves as totally different things when they're the same ingredient, that diphenhydramine hydrochloride. It just, it makes me so angry that it, one can be labeled as an uh, antihistamine and the other one is a sleep aid. And they're the exact same they are the, with the exact same yeah. quantity. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. And now that's, a, I mean, I can talk for days about, about labeling issues and branding marketing issues within the, the drug world, within the, the medication world. But, uh, but yes, that, that is something that, drives me crazy too because yeah. you know they're taking a a medicine that's supposed to be used for one thing and you know they are basically utilizing a side effect of it for marketability <laughs> you know um for I don't know of another way to say it and yes that is it's incredibly frustrating for that because um you know, like say there's something, there's the acetaminophen with, with diphenhydramine. Um, I'm not going right. to use the brand name, but um, it's supposed, you know, they, they brand it as a sleeping pill, but you know, you take several of those acetaminophens, you know, that can lead to liver disease, you know? So there's so many unintended consequences that folks just do not realize, you know, when you're taking these, these sleep, so-called sleep medications, when in fact, they're actually just, like you said, they're allergy medicines. So. Um, and, and vice versa, when you're taking a, when you're taking allergy medicine and you are actually taking a sleeping pill, same thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, uh, there's been a, in the pharmaceutical industry in general, there's been a, a big kind of snafu with marketing and it's caused some real problems. And uh, unfortunately, it's kind of made our jobs as pharmacists an uphill battle. But, you know, it's kind of what we signed up for and we we provide the best care we can. Yeah. So uh but uh but I was, I actually was. That's something I wanted to talk to you about, about the the use of sleep medications, not necessarily the ones I was talking about, but the prescribed ones, the like benzodiazepines, how how do those factor into folks and the overall health of their sleep? Well, I can tell you that is the one thing that I don't promote in my programs. I'm not a physician, so I'm not the one sure. to talk about it. But when I, when I did talk to the experts, um, of course, they all say that they would not recommend that as a first treatment or, or a treatment at all. If anything, 
they would recommend uh, maybe the melatonin, you know, something that is more of a non-synthetic answer Mm -hmm. and something that you don't become dependent upon, hopefully, because you can become dependent upon sleep aids if you if you take them too much. Um, They can also cause really nasty side effects, you know, getting up and doing things that you don't remember doing in the morning. And I, I guess that's where my tips and tricks come into play is that I would sure prefer that people try these things that you can just do differently with your lifestyle as opposed to popping a drug um, to try to fix everything. Because there are so many things like, like in the evening, you know, just turn your, dim your lights down. You don't have to be in bright light all, all night until you turn off the lights to go to sleep. You can train your body and tell, tell it, you know, now it's time to start thinking about going to bed. Cause it's, you know, we used to get up with when the sun came up and go to bed when the sun went down. We don't do that anymore, but we can kind of trick our brains to think that it helps. Sure. So things like that, um, any kind of other trick that we can do besides relying on drugs, that's just what I would recommend. Yeah, because I mean, and don't get me wrong, I I make my living dispensing medications. So, um, you know, I do think, you know, it's okay. No, but I'm in agreement with you. And I I do believe we are over-medicated at just in general. And, you know, I do, obviously there's, there's a place for medication of all kinds, but we don't put enough emphasis, I think, on non-pharmacological treatment in, in any sort of, not just in sleep in just in our health in general, um, oh, totally. You know, so There's I mean, so much to being proactive rather than reactive. I I totally agree, and that's you know, and that's it's just because I kind of think we're in this 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 culture, this society of a of a fix all of a easy fix. You know, we're more interested in the band aid, you know, instead of actually healing the wound. Um, you know, because it it works better with our lifestyle, and unfortunately that's a tough road to go down with people because you have to really get deep with it. You have to really figure out what's going on. And, you know, changing behavior is incredibly difficult. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm here to tell you. Yeah. So um, we are talking with Susan Harris Broomfield of the University of Nebraska, Lincoln, and uh, we're running short here on time, Susan. So I just wanted to give you an opportunity to, Talk about anything that we may have we may have missed here, and something that maybe you want to add, or something that you want to emphasize regarding folks and their mental health and or their sleep health. Oh gosh, I I guess the only thing I would like to add is that we we are creating a mental wellness campaign in Nebraska, and. Hopefully within a year or so, this will be much more defined and available and out there for other states and other extension people and other organizations to to use, especially in the wake of a disaster. So I hope you will reach out to us for any kind of resources um, if you have a need. And how do folks get a hold of you? Well, my email address is susan.harris, H-A-R-R-I-S at unl.edu and they can find me on the extension.unl.edu website as well. Yeah, and we'll have links to that in the show notes um, when this becomes available. So uh, 
Susan, I really, really appreciate you coming on here today and spending some of your evening talking to us about all things mental health and about the importance of sleep because, you know, I can tell you that seven or eight hours is tough to get, but uh, it's really meaningful if you do. It is. You just have to make it a priority in your life. You know, I heard there's I've been something I've been saying a lot lately is, you know, it, we're all blessed with the same amount of time every day and it's up to us what to do with it. So, uh, you know, saying that you don't have enough time to get enough sleep is not really an option. That's uh, that's right. It's just like exercise. You need to find the time to, to do activities and you need to find the time to sleep and you choose, you have a choice about what you put into your mouth as well. Whatever you eat, that's your choice. That's correct. Yep. We all, we, you know, we, we are lucky enough that we, uh, we, you know, we, we have our own brain, we have our own functionality and, uh, it's our choice whether or not we want to screw that up or not, I guess. <laughs> yes. And one of my favorite sayings with regard to mental health is life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. Oh my gosh, yes, that's so good because, you know, we can't control it. We can't control a lot of the things that happen to us, but we can control how we react to them. You know, that's, you know, that's our whole lives is how we handle things that come our way. I mean, that's, you know, we can't control, we can't control the weather. We can't control the markets. Like I said, I'm talking about in, in agriculture, you know, but we, we can control how we take care of our own house and put that in order. So Susan, thank you again today. It was, uh, it was really meaningful. I really enjoyed it. Well, thank you. I did too. Thanks for having me. Yes, ma'am. Thanks for listening to Ag State of Mind. We hope this episode has encouraged you. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ag State of Mind. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week. <laughs>